This is Train to Perform, the undisputed alpha podcast in training, fitness, and sports performance. Here, you'll develop your skills with the cold, hard facts in fitness, sports performance, recovery, and nutrition. Real, tried and true, evidence-based facts that have been proven to move you faster, move you stronger, and move you forward. Now, here's your host of Train to Perform, Julian Sisman. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Train to Perform podcast. Today we have Stephanie Moll. She is a registered dietitian, works with Dr. Todd Miller in the Miller Method, and she's also a certified sports dietitian as well and a CSES. Stephanie's background, obviously, as you can hear from what I said, is in nutrition. Um, We talk about a lot of great information, really touching two topics, well, two two demographics. We talk about a lot about the athlete um, and how nutrition is important for you to be successful in your sport, some difficulties that they run through, how to help them um, get through those difficulties, and how, you know, nutrition really is a game changer for their performance. Um, We also continue and talk, touch a few topics about adults and understanding their behaviors, their habits, how we can help them, you know, reach their fitness goals, health goals, nutritional goals. And so just a little snippet about what we talk about on the podcast today. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you. Just trying to keep supporting people and keeping them like their mind right and behaviors in place. I'm sure you can understand that. Yeah. A lot of stress eating, a lot of alcohol. Not for me, but like, well, alcohol, yeah. Stress eating, not so much. But yeah, it's going okay. How about you? It's good. Can't complain. You know how it is like with the whole, really the biggest thing is, you know, I guess people just like keep trying to keep going. Instead of just, oh, I can't afford it, or I'm going to stop for now until, like, the gym opens again. And so, like, that's, like, the biggest challenge to kind of getting people to just keep going and understand that, like, it's just a bump in the road and we'll kind of be back to, you know, the the normal way in a little bit. But, I mean, realistically, like, I've only – because I've been able to kind of pivot and, like, do everything online. And then now that the weather is decent, I'm able to go outside. That's good. yeah, it's that I've been very honestly been lucky. So, because I mean, I got we had this like massive gym and we can't use it. Wow, that's a great space. Oh, well, are you able to open as of today? Because I hear that gyms are starting to open as of today. So, in Maryland, not well, in Virginia, okay. I think today, okay. but in Maryland, you're in Maryland, it's not till the 15th, and then wow. like. I don't know what, what's the deal with Montgomery County. They've been like totally different than everybody else. So yeah, I mean, That's def- yeah. yeah, it's tough because it's so densely populated around here. So that's the biggest issue that we're having. Mm-hmm. Where, are you, where in Virginia are you? Okay. So I'm in Loudoun County, okay. um, like where I live, like where I am right now. I don't know if you know. Okay. So Hillsborough, do you know Hillsborough? Okay. So like if I were to go to the lab where you yeah. in, in uh, yeah like is it past yeah. that oh yeah I'm like 30 miles west of there I'm in the mountains like mm-hmm. I'm in I'm in the valley <laughs> so is it past like the the outlets oh yeah <laughs> okay so yeah I'm country I'm like city oh, girl turns country it's so fun that far to just to the lab yeah. So it only, you know, it depends. It depends on like the traffic and whatnot. When I was commuting, like in the thick of it, after I got my kids on the bus, it would take me 50 minutes to an hour. You know, I mean, pretty typical for Northern Virginia. It was okay. I mean, I, it sucked, but it was okay. It was doable. When there's no traffic, it only took me like 35 minutes. So it's not that bad, but the lab 
closed. GW eliminated my position. I don't know if you knew. I didn't know if Todd told you that. No. Yeah. Is that because of the virus or just like, wow. The virus was a big part of it. But GW as an institution is really like all colleges at this point. They're really financially stressed. They're in a tremendous amount of debt. From what I understand, it's upwards to 100 million in debt. So the accountants were just going through figuring out how they had to cut and look, took one look at the lab and was like, we're moved. It's done. It doesn't, it's not academics. It's not research. They're done. They're closed. So they fired me and Mike. So Todd is like the only thing that's left. He's still there, but the, he's not working with the lab. He's working within the academic department, which is what that lab was housed under. It was under the Department of Nutrition and Exercise Sciences. So his primary role is, is an associate professor. So he does teaching and all that other kind of stuff, manages the grad program for the master's in strength and conditioning, interns, you know, all of that. So his responsibilities have shifted to take on more of that role. Now, he and I are still working together. You know, we're still doing Miller Method stuff. But for me, that's become my primary thing because technically I'm unemployed at this point. So what's your plan now? Obviously, you're going to continue with that. You guys did really well with it. You guys are doing well with that, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We are doing well. I mean, it's, it's not enough for me to yeah. survive at this yeah. point because I'm, I'm a single mom. It's just me. So I, at this point, we're trying to ramp it up so that we can make enough money so that maybe I can survive. But if that doesn't happen, I don't know what I'm going to do because what I do is so specialized. There's like no one else that does this. It's not like I can go work for somebody else, which I don't really want to anyway. So my best option is just to try to support myself. So we can actually, I can start by asking like what give me kind of like your background because then i'm always at the end of the day like we're always as trainers we're always i'm no like nutritionist right and i know right. your, your whole background is nutrition right that, you have your master's right or mm-hmm. dietetics I have my master's and yeah so i'm an rd okay i'm a cssd so a certified specialist in sports dietetics okay. which is like that higher level certification for rds i'm a cscs and I have my master's in exercise science. Wait, so you have two masters? No, no, no. I just have one. I just oh. have the master's in exercise science, then the, the CSSD, oh, you have and the CSCS. Your undergrad to get your- My your undergrad's degree. dietetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. So, cool. so like my primary specialty is sports nutrition and weight management. Those are my two areas that I like to focus on. And the credentials I have and the degrees I have directly support that. And that's why I got them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could work with other people, but I don't want to, I don't want to work with diabetics. I don't want to work with, you know, it's not my thing. I can do it. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, that's, it's good to know. Cause like I deal again, like, you know, I deal with people that, you know, are obviously I deal with a lot of athletes. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why I asked you to do the, the presentation for the NSCA is because I know you have a, you know, a very sound background in sports nutrition and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you understand the, especially with the youth kids, because like, I think that's the population that I feel like if we can, as teachers, coaches, whatever you want to call us, get these kids to understand the foundation of nutrition, which they don't get to me enough yeah. of in their, in school. They know oh God, no, the stuff they're taught in school is terrible. Exactly. So it'll help them not only yeah. today, but like in yeah. their future and like as they get older and like, cause implementing that stuff now for them yeah. is going to be huge. Oh, it's a game changer. They're my favorite population. Youth yeah. athletes, they're my favorite because they're like sponges, right? I can just give them some basic knowledge, like foundational stuff. How do you balance your meals? What are food groups? How much of each food group do you need? How do you snack? How do you fuel like before, during, and after? Do you need to fuel before, during, and after? Hydration, you know, all of that. And so it's interesting you're bringing all this up because they're my favorite, right? And there's such a need for the exact reason that you just said. But I can't get my hands on every single kid, right? And they don't really need like personalized nutrition planning like an adult does, right? It's more of like these generalized concepts. So 
Todd and I just made an online course called Adolescent Athlete Prep. It's all online. There's 12 video modules that we're just teaching them that foundational stuff. Calories. What are calories? Substrate utilization for endurance versus strength sports. Um, carbs, protein, fat. How much do you need? What's the function of it? What foods do you find it in? How do you balance meals? What are some snack ideas? How do you eat when you're traveling with your team? How do you eat when you're at school lunch? What do you pick if you're stuck, right? That kind of stuff. So it's zero touch. So the whole idea behind creating that was that I can maybe reach more kids and get them to like make some shifts so that they can become better athletes and take care of themselves without me having to work one-on-one with all of them because that's not practical. Yeah. No, you know no. what I'm saying? It's good that you're saying that because I'll definitely have to ask you for that information so I can... I'll send it. So we're, we're creating like graphic to okay. send to like coaches such as yourself to say, Hey, this is what it is. We're not doing it to, to replace you guys. Yeah, we're yeah, doing yeah. it to give them nutrition knowledge. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Right. Yeah. And like teaching them exercise adaptation. So they understand the science. So they buy into more of what you're trying to teach them and get them to do right. Yeah. They get it. And so we're putting that graphic together now. We're hoping to launch next week. So I will absolutely send, send you that information once we have it. Awesome. For sure. So since you obviously work with you know, a lot of athletes, what do you find is like one of the biggest issues that they, they kind of run through or like when they come to you, what's a very like common problem that most of them have as far as like fuel? For youth athletes yeah. or adults? Youth athletes. I'll get to the adults. <laughs> Okay. It goes down to youth athletes. Like, I'm sure you've worked with tons of different sports because obviously, and I know, and you know, yeah. each sport, the intensity is totally different. So as far as yeah. it goes, yeah. how, how much of macros you need or, you know, each one is different. Mm-hmm. Each one is different. So the thing that I experience the most okay. is kids know the word healthy, but they don't know what that means in terms of application. So they hear it, but they really don't, they can't explain it. They can't tell me what a healthy meal looks like, right? They just know the word healthy. So the biggest thing is just teaching them, this is a carbohydrate. This is what carbohydrate does in the body right? It's your fuel source. It allows your muscles to use glucose at very high intensity situations. And then I break it down for them based on their sport. So like, you know, if it's a soccer player and, you know, they're primarily playing defense and they're just, most of the time they're just kind of hanging around, but let's say the ball's coming down to them. They need to sprint to the ball and be able to play their role and defend, right? So to go from standing and kind of watching what's happening to sprinting, they need glucose, they need carbohydrate, right? So kind of just breaking it down and teaching them how that food directly turns into fuel is tremendously valuable. And then putting it in practical applications to say, okay, now let's build a meal that supports your fueling and your recovery needs. So we need X amount of carbohydrate, you know, depending on whether they're in season or out of season and what their sport is. We need a certain amount of protein because proteins are recovery, our building block, et cetera. And then the, I call them nutrient boosters. So the remaining part of the meal is either a vegetable, I want it to be a vegetable. And then maybe we need some healthy fat, maybe not depends on what their goal is, right? Do they need extra energy? Did they train really hard? Do they need that extra, those extra calories? Add the fat. Do they, are they in a weight-based sport? Are they a wrestler? Are they a swimmer? Are they a dancer? Are they a gymnast? And body composition matters and they need to be aware of how much they're eating, then keep the fat minimal right? I keep it that simple. So I don't want them tracking numbers or tracking calories. That's, that is rigid behavior for a youth athlete. It's more teaching them, let's check in with ourselves. You know, how hungry am I? What's my energy like? How hard did I train? And then how do I make my meals? It's that, it's that simple, taking the science and applying it. Just teaching them that. Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. And that, you know, that's, that's the kind of basic stuff I try to get them to understand. Because a lot of them, it's funny, you, you talked about like 
fueling constantly, right? Now I'm getting kids, and you're going to laugh, that are like intermittent fasting. They wanna, Why? Believe me, it's crazy. And they, they want to quote unquote cut. And I'm like, oh. And the thing is, it, yeah, it's crazy. Oh, they get that is body, not good. Yeah, because they get these body perceptions of other athletes that are like very lean and, oh, I want to be like this athlete. But I'm like, Instagram? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And I'm like, look, you can't be that person. There, there's two totally different oh people. So that's like really like it's a huge problem. And again, that's either that goes the same with like girls too, because like you know how they are. They see yeah. people on Instagram, they see people uh, on Facebook, and they want to look like yep. than that person. Yeah. But it's like when you see those people, you got to understand that like you one, you're two totally different people. Two, you have a to- two totally different lives. That person is yep. training every single day. Yeah, that's what they're getting paid for. You're like, it, yeah, it's hours, it's, right? Exactly. So it's two totally different lives. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because like media just it's there uh, for them. It to exploits eat. it. Yeah. yeah. And then um, yeah, like all of the female clients that I work with, all of them, every single one will come to me. The teenage athletes, I want to see my abs. I'm like, exactly. Do you have any idea what your body is going through right now? Like you are not going to see your abs. <laughs> you see your abs. We have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> That's all they want. They're like, I just want to get rid of my belly. And then the boys want to be like, I want muscle. I want to be, I want to add 30 pounds. And I'm like, dude, you know, you don't even hit your max hormone like levels until your mid twenties. Like you've got time. Yeah. And there is nothing you can do to speed that up. And they just, they don't want to believe it. Yeah. They think it's shit, you know? Because oh. it, it, the, the, I think the other thing is they see these other kids that are, you know, big and yeah. they got to understand that like you, the issue is like those kids that are big and whatnot. I'm not saying they're taking steroids, but they're definitely on some probably creatine, Probably. They're doing, no, they're doing black market pre anabolic precursors. Yeah. So there's something going on that those kids don't know about. Yeah. And that's what I keep telling kids. Yeah. But I think the other issue, you know, comes back to like we were talking about before. It's like a lot of kids just don't eat enough. Like, no, that's definitely a problem. So like I ask kids, I'm like, what's your day to day meal? And they're like, oh, yeah. I, I literally eat. I don't eat anything till two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, what? Oh, yep. And so like, and I'm like, yep. and you, you want to do something that yep. you do if you're eating at two and that's it. And then you might eat yep. enough meal later. Right. So there, what's, what happens with those kids is they're not eating all day cause they're not hungry. So then they, they, they backload. So their first meals at two, they'll have dinner at like six, seven, eight. And then what they're doing that they're not telling you is they're snacking all night when they're staying up late, they're eating junk. So then they end up getting full and that's why they're not hungry the next day until whatever. They're shifting their, their body clock and their internal cues. It's so damaging. When I shift it, when I get them to do a, a balanced breakfast and make breakfast, lunch, and dinner all about the same amount of nutrition, and we use that as the primary fuel source and then snacks fill the gaps, these kids, like every single one of them end up having PRs in whatever it is they're doing whether it's they're running, they're benching, whatever it may be, all of them. And they all come back and tell me, oh my God, I feel so much better. I have so much more energy. I'm sleeping better. You know, they just, they feel better and then they get it. That's all I need. If I can make a kid connect with changing nutrition and having them feel better and perform better, they're, they're bought in. You've got them for life, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's funny that you say that. I talk about sleep because I was listening to this podcast this morning and the guy was talking about how he recommends because it helps people that have issues with sleeping not to eat like three to four hours before you go to bed. I say too. That you have to have that like sort of time Mm -hmm. for your body to. So it comes to me thinking like, is that why like we have such an issue in this country with sleep? Because people like snack and do all these like random things before they go to bed and then they go to sleep. They have issues sleeping because there's you know food in their body. But could also the issue be with especially with younger kids, like just like 
the under eating, like, is that like messing with them hormonally and things like that? Yes. I mean, especially yes. they're yes. still growing. Yes. It's called, have you heard of relative energy deficiency in sport? Red S. Okay. So it's basically the female athlete triad, but more of like broadened to include all athletes because males are susceptible to it too. Mm. And you see, I'll have to send you the graphic, the, in the IOC, the international Olympic committee put out this awesome graphic that has red S in the middle and all of the body systems that get affected by it. I talk about it in that online course for adolescent athlete prep. So you get a slowing of thyroid production and thyroid hormones, which affects energy expenditure and overall energy production. You get cardiovascular changes. So you get decreased heart rate, blood pressure changes because the body doesn't have enough fuel to support the output that the body is being forced to go through. You get hormonal shifts. So a decrease in the reproductive sex hormones, right? Which can absolutely affect growth as well as in females' menstrual cycles. You get cognitive changes. So more anxiety, more depression, poor sleeping patterns, mood shifts, like a lot more emotional instability and poor regulation of their emotions. So like there's all, like every body system that you can think of gets affected. Immune system, you get a decrease in immune production cells. So then you're more likely to get colds, flus, sinus infection. If you get an injury, you're going to be slower to recover, right? There's just a decrease in everything and it affects every body system. And most kids, when they're starting to feel that way, they're like, I'm just tired. Like I'm not sleeping. I've got a lot of stress going on, right? They blame it on that instead of looking at the diet. And it's usually under fueling. They're not eating enough to support the energy demand of their training and their sport. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this though. So like kind of transitioning to like the, you know, adult, like if at a younger age you are doing these things, right? Does it affect, do you think it affects the long-term, the diet, the, the ways that adults gain weight, weight fluctuates so much? Yes. Just different things that happen yes. to adults as they get older. I mean, does, is that like the younger, yes. having those habits at the younger age, will it, you know, in turn cause any issues as you get older? Yes. 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 Every time. Because all of the adults that I'm working with, so especially for the females, they all started dieting at eight, nine, 10, 12 years old for whatever reason, whether they were an athlete or not. For the males that I'm working with, if they were an athlete, they just simply didn't pay attention to their nutrition, right? They just kind of ate whatever they wanted because especially for males, they burn so many calories mm -hmm. that they just didn't worry about or didn't think about their nutrition and just relied on their exercise, mm -hmm. right? To keep them lean or small or whatever. Yeah. I don't have as many adult males who have a strong dieting history. That's not quite as prevalent, but- that also as adults, as like adult males, they have a tendency to do better in terms of shifting their body composition and, and optimizing their health. So if they get to a point, they realize they're uncomfortable and they want to make a change. I usually have no problem getting that change in them because their body responds like that because yeah. they don't have as strong of a dieting history or an under eating history, but the females do. And so I see suppressed um, thyroid function and blunted energy expenditure in my adult females. So it makes fat loss very difficult in them. It's a slow process and it's very frustrating for them. So, okay. I got a question about that. So when a individual has that issue with their thyroid, because I know the thyroid plays a role in a lot of things, like especially body regulation, like temperature regulation of the body. body temp mm -hmm. Mental health too. So does that affect, obviously you said fat loss. So when you have an issue like that, what do you do with a person? Like, Do you tell them, hey, you need to eat more of this or you need to just eat more in general? So if I have an adult, a, an adult who has a thyroid issue, the first thing is getting labs to okay. see how much of an issue do we have right? So how out of whack are your lab results? And then I blend that with their symptoms. So thyroid management, it's not so much the numbers from the lab work. It's more of the symptoms that are telling of what your body's going through. 
because the labs don't always reflect it and those numbers can change easily. But I still like to have a baseline lab value to see what's going on, right? So we get a full thyroid panel. Then if that person is very symptomatic, meaning weight, either they can't lose weight or they've been gaining fat, they have brain fog, that's what they describe it, like kind of like this hazy feeling, cognition's a little off, poor sleep, improper body temperature regulation, feeling cold all the time. We get like skin, like skin discoloration, so like skin rashes, especially around the armpits, the chest, and the back. You can see those. If we've got menstrual cycle dysfunction, right, something's like happening that's abnormal. Symptoms like that, then those people usually need medication management. Maybe not for life, but at least temporarily to correct the dysfunction that's happening. Okay. Then from a diet perspective, what I do is I, I feed them in a deficit, but I can't feed them in a very big deficit. So for those people, the bigger the deficit, the more the body is going to mess, get the message that I am underfed. So it further suppresses thyroid function right? And then we're not fixing the problem. Mm -hmm. If I feed them at maintenance calories, so not a deficit or a slight surplus, they're going to gain fat even more rapidly. And that's not what I want. Yeah. Right. So there's like such a fine line to finding that calorie level that puts them in just a slight deficit. So I'm preventing fat gain. And then hopefully as the thyroid function starts to speed back up, then the body starts to allow fat loss to occur. The problem is that it is a minimum of six months, a minimum of six months of holding the diet consistent and getting symptoms managed, whether it's through supplements or medication. That's the minimum. And then, only then, will you start to see very slow fat loss. And when I mean slow, I mean like snail's pace. Like you're lucky to lose half a pound to a pound per month that kind of slow. So that under eating for a long time can really disturb. Oh, no, it just destroys you. So people say it messes up my metabolism or it slows my metabolism. Usually the metabolism is fine. Yeah. The metabolism is fine. What's happening because thyroid function happens on two levels. Okay. I describe it as the front end and the back end. Okay. So the front end is when the pituitary gland in the brain gets the signal that it needs thyroid hormone. So it produces TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. That then acts on the thyroid gland. Okay. The thyroid gland then produces T3 and T4, mm -hmm. which are our two thyroid hormones. So that's the front end. The front end, when there's a disruption in the front end, meaning TSH production from the pituitary to then release of T3 and T4 from the thyroid, that is, that will disrupt your metabolism. That will show up as a slow metabolism, okay? For most people, that is not the issue. For most people, that part works just fine. It's the back end. So the back end is when we get T4 and T3 production from the thyroids. We have those levels in our blood. Okay. The body will take T4, Okay. The, the, all the T4 that it produced and convert it to T3. T3 is active thyroid hormone. So it's the active form of thyroid hormone. T3 is what gets inside the cell to actually run energy metabolism or energy production. So Krebs cycle and all that stuff, right? T3 is what triggers that, okay? When people are, have a dieting history, are under significant stress, right? So whether it's like lifestyle stress, environment stress, stress from overtraining, right? So like too much exercise, especially when we couple that with under eating, yeah. the body will blunt. So the high cortisol levels block the conversion of T4 to T3. So okay. it like shuts it off. Okay. So what ends up happening is we've got all this T4 floating around and it's not converting to T3. So then the body gets the message, hey, I need more thyroid hormone, produce more. So then the pituitary gland kicks in again and produces more TSH. Well, that's not really helping things because it's not the production of TSH that's the issue. It's the conversion of T4 to T3 that we need help with, okay? So there are medications that can pump 
that like give you some T3 to kind of help correct that back end dysfunction. Then from a diet and exercise perspective, you don't want to do a ton of cardio. You want to lift weights, right? Because we're not burning a lot of calories at one time when we lift, but we get the thermic effect as a result, like the epoch, right? Yeah. So we want to primarily lift, get rid of cardio, and we want to make sure we're not eating in too big of a deficit. Because again, under eating and high calorie expenditure compounds that back end thyroid dysfunction. So we want to get enough energy coming in and we want to give our body some rest to allow that conversion rate to speed back up and get that T4 converting to T3. It's just, it's a lengthy process. Yeah. It sounds like it's crazy how disruptive you can, it can cause like the body to kind of turn on itself basically because of, and I feel like that's like one of the biggest things with just, again, think like, about it. The body's designed to survive. Yeah. I, that's funny you say that because I tell that to people all the time. It's like your body's going to figure out a way to just adapt. keep going yep. no matter what you want it to do. Yeah. It, it's going to adapt. Yes. Exactly. And so if you can't, you know, you're still eating, you're still moving, you're still alive, right? So the adaptation is occurring internally with your yeah, hormones. Exactly. Right. Um, so kind of going off of what you were talking about before, I know this is always, uh, we were talking about body composition and, you know, kids, kids you know, getting the idea of like, you know, I want to look like someone, same thing with adults. And I always have this conversation with people. Um, they're like, oh, the scale, like yesterday, you know, it, just didn't, it, it wasn't where I wanted it to be. Or I feel like I gained weight overnight, like two pounds. Oh, and so yeah. after I came to, to Todd, Actually, I think it was might have been before you started working with him. Came to him one time for the body composition, the DEXA scan. And that was the first time I ever did it. And I kept going back because I thought that was like, that was giving me better internal feeling of like, oh my God, this is what's going on. And that's what I tell the people. Fortunately, now mm -hmm. we have a place in Bethesda that, had, that you know, has a DEXA scan. Yeah. Don't you have its body mass, Jim? Isn't that what you're using up there? No, there's a place called Composition what are you talking ID. About? Composition ID. Okay. Yeah. And I think this is like one of the biggest things with a lot of people, you know, body composition, testing versus scale versus resting metabolic rate. Like, yeah. why are those numbers? Why is, to me, body composition and resting metabolic rate the best place for people to start? Not 100%. That loss. Yeah. So, you know, the reason why it's so incredibly important is because it gives you that baseline. It gives you objective data, right? So I can't, I'm really good at what I do, like just point blank. I'm really good at what I do, but I can't look at you, Julian, and say, well, your resting metabolic rate is 1800 calories. I don't have Superman eyes, right? I can't see inside of you. So yeah. no matter what, like even if there's like a home scale and it says, well, your RMR is this number, that's a prediction equation. The only way to actually know what your RMR is, is to put a mask on your face or a tube in your mouth and measure that gas exchange right? and get an actual measurement. That is the only way to know that if you're trying to put a plan in place, that it's designed around calories, that's your baseline. And that's the only way you can get it. If you go online and use a calculator, if you download an app and put in your info and rely on what that's telling you, if you use your scale, or even if you get a body composition result and it says your RMR is this, right? Because Embody, DEXA, and BODPOD all does that. Yeah. They're using prediction equations. It's not an actual measurement. Yeah. You could be off by up to 50%, wow, 50% variance. Like my RMR is 50% faster than predicted, right? So if I use the prediction equation and I'm trying to eat 1,200 calories, I will starve myself, right? I wouldn't be able to sustain it because I'd be so dang hungry, but the, that's the pitfall. And I'm not abnormal. There's so many people that fall into that category where their actual metabolism is so far off from their predicted. So think about the pitfalls to that. If you're trying to change your body and you're using calories, right, as your base, and you use a prediction equation and your metabolism is actually faster, you're going to lose muscle because you're not eating enough energy to support that muscle tissue. 
and then we're going to create a whole hormonal cascade, right? Like we were just talking about because you're under eating. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And like, and especially when people are weight training a lot, like it only increase. I mean, I'm not saying it increases a lot. Like it's, it will a little bit over time based on, you know, yeah. mass you put. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's like a, and I mean, to you, what do you think is the best place to start as far as diet goes? Like if someone wants to lose weight and you're, and they come to you, like, where are you going to start? I mean, obviously you're going to start with their habits. Like what is their behavior? But, but if they truly want to lose weight, like, correct me if I'm wrong, you're going to see how many calories their body's burning, like what's going on inside first. And then yeah, that's going to be a part of the equation. Yeah. Because I'm not going to rely on what they're telling me. Exactly. Okay. You know, they're either not, they can't be honest with themselves or maybe they don't truly know. Maybe they think they know, mm-hmm. but that's in their head. That's a feeling. Yeah. That's not objective data. Right. You know, if someone says, well, I think I feel like I gained weight overnight. What proof do you have? How do you know it was fat gain? Mm-hmm. How do you not know it was a water shift? How do you not know it was muscle gain? Yeah. You know, it's when you start challenging and you really, really remove the emotion, that's when people are like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, why do I think that I gained fat? Right. People assume they gain weight that, that it's fat. People assume they lose weight overnight that it's fat. That's the wrong assumption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are fluid shifts, right? If your weight changes that much, that is a fluid shift, yeah. which is very normal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's where the body composition comes into play. It gives you that baseline, right? So when you test people with that, is it, what's the frequency that you suggest? So like, for, an, for a metabolism test, an RMR, we're only going to do that once body comp. in the beginning. Okay. Six months, three so months. So the RMR will will do it once. Okay. For body composition, I like to see it maybe every eight weeks oh, after the baseline. Okay. Mm-hmm. Especially for like the first six months, because we want to make sure that they're losing fat, and not muscle. Yeah. And that's when we're making some changes to the diet to make sure we are getting the right plan in place to elicit the result, to elicit fat loss. After six months, then we can usually start to decrease the frequency to maybe every three to four to five months, maybe even every six months to do that body comp result or that body comp test. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, I didn't even think about it that way because, I mean, I guess you, again, like you can't use the scale to see what kind of- mass is being changed what mass no. is being changed um right that's, that's true so right. when it comes to habit behavior changes like what kind of i mean i guess you can't really make, i mean you can make suggestions but like what are the common like things that you come across with people when it comes to especially adult population because you know everybody's yeah. always trying to do this do that but you never know like what yeah really going on um obviously they, you know got stress in the family, stress at work, you got, like, what are some tips that you typically tell people, like, hey, like, when it comes down to, you know, you want to change your, what you look like, like, obviously, diet, exercise are going to be the huge key, but what other things do you make? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different behaviors that I like to put in place. The first is you've got to be honest with yourself about your, what you're eating. So track your food. Don't just think you're doing something actually assess it. So Mm -hmm. track your food so that you can learn, right? It's a learning tool. Figure out how much fat, how much protein, how much carb, how many calories am I eating? You know, how much am I drinking? How many calories is alcohol actually contributing to my intake, right? Because in the moment, especially if you're a drinker, you're like, eh, this is nothing. It's no big deal. But, you know, one drink turns into six. Yeah. And we're talking about significant calories depending on what you're drinking, right? So the first is to assess. So track your food and learn. The second thing is that I don't want people going too hard, too fast. So what I mean by that is when people are eager to change and motivation is high, they go all in. So they cut out sugar, they cut out alcohol, they only eat vegetables, you know, like they're very rigid with their food. So the question is, whatever you are doing to right now to change your body, do you see yourself doing that forever? Think long-term, don't think acutely. 
right? So everybody in the moment that's eager to change their body are only thinking right now, if I could just get these 10 pounds off of me, I would feel better. I just need to do whatever it takes to lose 20 pounds. Then I'll go back to what I was doing. No, because if you go back to what you're doing, you're just going to put all that weight back on, right? right? So the behaviors that you implement to change your body will be the exact behaviors that you will follow to maintain it. So if you have something in place that you do not see yourself doing forever, stop and put something in place that you can see yourself doing forever, right? So people are like, yeah, 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 it's a lifestyle change. Like they get it, but they're not practicing it. They're not living it. Yeah, they're not taking that action. So, right. So when you think about if someone says to you, um, okay, well, I'll just cut out all processed sugar and I won't have any dessert for the next 30 days or 60 days and that's, that'll help me lose weight. So then, you know, you'll say to them, okay, so will you ever eat dessert again? Are we going to remove cookies and cupcakes and candy and ice cream forever? And they're like, no. Okay, then what are we doing here? (laughs) You know, it's bringing it right back to that very direct, blunt question of put things in place that you know will take you through the rest of your life. Don't be rigid, Mm -hmm. right? So helping them wrap their brain around that concept and then actually living it is really important. The, another thing is that a lot of people will use exercise as their crutch to create a deficit and give them liberty to eat what they want, right? So they're like, I work out so that I can eat X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. Well, there is a flaw in the logic because you're assuming you're burning a certain number of calories. Yeah. And I guarantee you're eating way more than you're actually burning, Mm -hmm. right? And then the question becomes, can you exercise every single day? What happens if you get sick? What happens if you're snowed in and you can't get to the gym? What happens if a family member needs you and you know, your mom is dying or your dad is dying and you need to care for them round the clock and you can't work out? What are you going to do then? Right? You can't rely on exercise to be your saving grace and get that deficit. Exercise is your bonus right? If we exercise, that keeps us healthy. It keeps us functional. It supports our muscle tissue. It helps our brain, right? The mental health. There's so many good things, but don't rely on it to create a deficit. That's where the diet comes in. Yeah. Those three things, track your food, be honest with yourself, right? Don't be too rigid and don't rely on exercise to create the deficit. I mean, those are key. I I definitely think that's kind of what even I was, you know, overweight a little bit when I was younger, even though I was very active. So, like, I can say that it clearly is true. Yeah. The doctor says to you, like, hey, you need to lose weight, even though I was, like, crazy active. Yeah. It wasn't, the, the balance wasn't there. Wasn't there, right. So, that totally makes sense. All right. So, so did so- you start focus? oh, go ahead. No, 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 what were you going to say? Did you start focusing on your diet at that point? Is that when you started looking at your food? Yeah, so, I mean, we're talking, like, when I was like in high school. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't know if I've had this conversation with you, but like I have a liver disease. So. Yes, I remember that now. So being lean and not overweight is huge. Very um, important. So basically when I turned 18, it was like, it was like that. It's like, again, like any other person that, you know, it's always a trigger. There's always something that happens to you that forces you to like really change. It's like, you know, you know, you hear the stories all the time about, oh, I was playing football or I was doing this or doing that and I was too small and I decided to weight train, I started doing that. So it's always like something that happens to you that's going to force you to like, and I always, I don't say this to people, but I'm like, but I kind of just mention it and like why something happens to some, why did somebody lose so much weight all of a sudden? And then you go find their backstory. It's like, oh, you know, they got sick or something yeah. happened. Yeah. I just don't want to say that to people like, oh, you know, just don't wait till, you know, you have to do it. You should start it now so you don't have to do it. You know how people operate. They have to, it has to like smack them in the face before they're willing to take action. But I will tell you, here's the thing I have learned that has been very eye-opening to me. You know, Todd and I do, or we have a history of doing Facebook lives as part of the Miller method, right? We were doing them every week. We did them for like three years. Yeah. And, and we're hoping to resume them, resume them. But 
we've had people say, I've been watching your videos for a year and it takes them that long before they finally come in and start working with us. Everybody has their own process. So I'm a big believer in keep putting the message out there. Keep on with that consistency. Like as a professional, or even like if anyone's listening to this, even as someone who does take care of themselves and you're worried about somebody else, be the model for them. Be the example and live your life and be consistent and let people watch you because people are watching you. They are absolutely watching you. They just need their own, they need their own time. Because if you force it, if you force them to do it, then it's not going to stick, mm-hmm. right? It, that desire to change has to be intrinsic, has to be internal, so that it's coming from within so that they are putting the necessary behaviors in place to take care of themselves. And that's how we can get it to be lifelong for them. So my next question is kind of on like <laughs> supplements. Yeah. Everyone's always talking about it. And they always ask about it. Yep. Like what are... I don't want to say like, what's the secret? There's really no secret on supplements because again, they're supplements. They're not to be replacing food. No. But if you- Fill your gaps. Yes. If you were to make a suggestion on a handful, maybe, that you have found to be yeah. effective in you know, yep. body composition and things like that, like what would you suggest? Yep. Okay. So the first would be protein. I'm a big proponent of protein supplements, whether it's powders, drinks, bars, just because to shift your body composition, you usually need a fairly high protein intake, and it can be very difficult to get it from food and honor the other macronutrient balance that you need in place, Mm -hmm. right? When we want straight protein, your food options are limited, right? So protein supplements, uh, I'm a big fan of. I don't want them to replace whole food protein, right? We want to get the foundation or the majority of our intake from food. Again, use the supplement to fill your dietary gap. Maybe one serving a day, maybe two, right? That's my guide. The other two supplements that I like for people that I feel like are effective for just kind of overall systemic health and well-being, which can also support body composition as well as performance would be omega-3 fatty acids and vitamin D. So omega-3 fatty acids and vitamin D, we need certain levels from an an exogenous source. So like an outside source to get the health benefit that we need. And it's very difficult to get those levels through food alone. So getting a high quality omega-3 supplement. If you are a vegan, then you would need to look at like an algae supplement, which is a plant-based source that will give you those omega-3 fatty acids. Vitamin D, most people are deficient in them. And and there's been some research coming out, some knowledge about how vitamin D plays a role in athletics, in the athletic population, that it can play a role in muscle contraction, that it can help with recovery, that it helps with brain health, as well as heart health, circulation. So most people benefit from a vitamin D supplement as well. So for vitamin D, we're looking at vitamin D3. That's the ideal supplement form. And you're looking at something around 500 up to 1,000 IUs a day. If you are unsure, you want to make sure you're getting the exact supplementation that you need, go to your doctor, get your level drawn so we know what your baseline is, and then you'll know exactly how much to supplement with right? That would be my ideal scenario. Mm -hmm. Omega-3 fatty acids, somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 milligrams a day is typically what I suggest. The Institute of Medicine adequate intake is 1,500 milligrams a day. So that's why I'm shooting for a supplement between one and two, 1,000 to 2,000 milligrams. But again, look at your diet, look at the omega-3 fatty acid sources that you're eating. And and kind of use that as a guide for how much I can supplement with. Yeah, if you eat a lot of fish, you probably don't need to supplement. I mean, it's just the reality of it, right? But you would have to eat fish almost every single day to get away from that supplement. And that's hard. You know, most people don't do that. Another thing, if someone is looking to grow muscle and they are a strength power athlete, then creatine is a very safe, very effective supplement. If you have a history of concussion, 
you should absolutely be on creatine because it can help with the regeneration of the neurons that were damaged in the brain. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I read about the cognition function, but I didn't realize mm-hmm. it did that much. Creatine is a phenomenal supplement. I know. I told um, you. It, I know. So, but here's the thing. What people do is they load it and then they cycle it. That is not necessary. What you want to do is take a maintenance dose, three to five grams creatine monohydrate every day. If you are coming out of a concussion, if you're recovering from a concussion, it's more acute or it's not acute, but you're still symptomatic, you might need closer to 10 or 15 grams a day. Okay. But that's safe. Yeah. Safe to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the upper limit? Those, those are my, what's the upper limit? Yeah. Well, I don't know, like clinically in like the general population, okay. I would say maybe over 20 grams yeah. a day, 15, 20 grams a day would be like your upper limit where you might see some renal toxicity there yeah, or say. some, yeah. yeah, renal lab shifts. Um, kidney lab shifts. But if you have history of a concussion and you like your brain really needs that additional supplementation, then going up to 25 or 30 grams a day has been demonstrated in research and has been safe. But I think one thing with creatine, correct me if I'm wrong, is the intake of water has to be increased a lot too. Correct. Okay. Correct. And that will protect the kidneys. Right, right. Because it's filtering and turning over. Yeah. So if you do start creatine, if you do the maintenance dose, like three to five grams, you don't have to be too worried about hydration. But if you're going higher than that, for whatever reason, then you definitely need to increase water. Yeah. Those are my core ones. You know, there are some people that benefit from a multivitamin. There are some people that benefit from B complex, like B6, B12. There are some people that benefit from calcium, but I'm kind of a fan of doing that an assessment with somebody to kind of figure out, okay, I don't want to over supplement you. So let's figure out where your exact gaps are, where your need is and go from there. Right. Because there is such a thing as over supplementation. And you typically would do some kind of blood work to figure out if they, if you can to figure out where they are as far as. Yes. Yes. Yep. And I have, we're actually connected with this company called lab savvy now. They're awesome. So you can be anywhere and you can, you can submit to do lab work. They have, so it's like an app-based program. They have a physician where they will sign off on the labs. You take the orders, take it to Quest, get your lab work done, and then we get the results. So it allows for that assessment without actually having to go to your doctor and not do a doctor's visit. I, I know this is kind of a side note or whatever. Have you ever heard of like spectrum cell where they figure out like, like micronutrients? No. Really? Yeah. Somebody was talking to me about it and it's, and they, I mean, it might be something you guys might want to look into because I don't know if, how it affects, you know, the blood, obviously micronutrients or, you know, the minerals and whatnot, obviously the vitamins too. But yeah, I was, I was reading about it and it talks about that, like at the cellular level, like what, what's going on, which is kind of cool. I, I, I've never seen it before, but I was, one of my clients was talking to me about it. Well, yo, that's cool that like you can do that. That's interesting. Do you have to, do you have to have some sort of like degree to like work with them or is it, can anybody just go to the lab set? No, you don't have to. No, I could get, I'll send you the information and I'll connect you with my contact. Okay. It's no, you don't. The the important thing, and this is the thing that we're we're working with Lab Savvy on educating like trainers and other affiliates that are working with them, is it's not your job to interpret the lab results. It's your job to essentially just provide that avenue for a person to get that level of assessment yeah. and yeah. look for flags. Yeah. Right? Is something high? Is something low? Yeah. If it is then you stay within your scope of practice. Mm-hmm. You either refer them to a physician who can manage it or some type of you know, naturopathic physician or a dietitian, right? Someone who can intervene and provide the detailed guidance to correct the deficiencies or the toxicities, right? That's really what we're doing. I totally agree with you. Yeah. And that's great because you know, a lot of people, again, like with our, with our amazing healthcare system, 
don't have the access. So it's good to know that right. there are other avenues. There's options. Yeah, there's, there's options. Because you yeah. know, I, I personally think for everybody, getting some type of blood work, you know, before you take on some type of, you know, yes. nutrition plan, exercise, yes. very important because- Super important. You never know what could happen nope. uh, to an individual if they're, you know, certain levels are too high, too low, blood, like all those things can affect like right. the outcome of your right. work. So. Right. Absolutely right. It's like anything else. You know, they say before you start an intense exercise program, if you've been sedentary, get clearance from your doctor. You need to make sure your heart is strong enough. You're not going to have a heart attack while you're training. Yeah, exactly. You know, the same is true for before you start taking all kinds of crazy supplements, assess your baseline, figure out exactly what you need, right? Before you start spending hundreds of dollars every month and pumping your body full of God knows what, that could actually be making things worse. Yeah. You don't want to do that. So assess. I'm a big fan. Just let's assess it first and then figure out where we need to go so we can be smart about what we're doing. Do you still uh, associate with Avocare, you and Todd, or not? Yeah, we're still associated with them, but we don't really, we don't sell it. Yeah. You know, we still use their stuff, like meal replacement shakes. I actually love their omega-3 fatty acid supplement, their Omegaplex. Yeah. Um, we still use Biocharge as a BCAA supplement. You know, and all the research now is saying you really don't need BCAAs, but like I know personally, I train better and harder when I take them during my workout. So I still use them. It's, it's funny because I'm sure you had a few people reach out to you about switching to oh, yeah. life and all oh, that. Oh, yeah. Modair. Yep. Oh, yeah. I was very cautious about how I guided people. Do you know? Because I'm not going to tell anyone what to do. Yeah. 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 No, no. And that's the thing. Like people, people ask me, I mean, I, ref I like refer them to it. Yeah. Because obviously I use it. Yeah. Um, plus, I mean, like if I go somewhere else, I got to like start over. And it's yeah. like, start over. I got 40% off. Stuff works. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. They have great products. Yeah. Their products are still sound. I mean, for sure. Some people buy here and there. I get a little bit of money. It is what it is. Yeah. Like, it's an unfortunate situation. But yeah, I'm with you 100%. Gonna happen, it's going to happen to all these companies at some point. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, so much information. So basically how I like to finish is where can people find you? Because obviously, you know, you're able to help people outside of, you know, I guess now you're private. So it's not yeah. a big issue. And yep. uh, so, you know, obviously you're doing Miller Method, but is that like the only yep. thing you guys are doing or is it more? Right now, that is the only thing that I am doing. Okay. So people can find us on MillerMethod.com. Okay. They can find us on Facebook under Miller Method. So it's Facebook.com forward slash Miller Method. Todd and I are both on Instagram. So we have a Miller Method account on Instagram. Again, just look for Miller Method. Okay. Or um, I am on Instagram as StephMullRD. So S-T-E-P-H-M-U-L-L-R-D. Mm -hmm. We post a lot of the same content, but you know, if someone wants to just directly follow me, that's fine. But that, those are the best ways to get in touch with us uh, through the website or even through Facebook or Instagram. You can always message us. Our email addresses are on the website. So we're pretty easy to find. Perfect. Definitely put that information, you know, in the notes. Um, but also, obviously, you have that course coming out. So we'll definitely get that information in there too. And then, you know, maybe have a little- I will send that to you. Yes. Some other stuff. <laughs> I'll send you the lab savvy too. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I'll connect you with the lab savvy stuff too, in case you want to look into that a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, that's uh, something I'm I'm definitely interested. In, but if it's easier for me to like refer somebody to you, and then to me, yeah, easier, kind of already connected, um, right? But okay, you know, always looking into you know things just so you know people have other ways to you know, okay find some stuff. So okay, yep, cool. Writing um, it down. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day Yeah. about nutrition because to me, honestly, I think it's, and I'll kind of end it here. I think it's the most important part about the whole process to me. You know, a lot of people love exercising, but at the end of the day, 
old saying goes, you can't outwork a bad diet. <laughs> I think we can't here. <laughs> you can't. There's so much synergy between the two, yes. right? If you're going to put the work in, in the gym, put the work in, you know, at home with what's going into your mouth. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's just, there's synergy to it. You're you want to be the best version of yourself. You've got to blend the two. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Cool. Well, Julian, me. It was good to talk to you. We'll, yeah. Uh, hey, I w- hold on one second. Thanks for listening to Train to Perform with Julian Sisman. Learn how you can work with Julian in a personal training session, either online or in person at prepareforperformance.com. And follow on social media for more tips on training, fitness, and sports performance on Twitter at jsisman_pfp underscore PFP and Instagram at prepareforperformance.